Hi there. Welcome to episode 44 of Pixelated Perspectives podcast. My name is Tanya, and today I have a special episode for you. I am sharing one of the New Perspectives membership calls with you, where we invited Rick Kohut as a guest speaker for this uh, membership call, and it was amazing. Rick shared so much insightful information regarding food and its direct implications to minimizing possible conflict shocks regarding food supply and food security. And Rick is just so full of wisdom and knowledge in this subject that it's so easy to listen to him speak about this. Um, We learned so much and I can't wait to share this episode with you. To join New Perspectives membership, just go to tanyaverquin.ca slash new dash perspectives. This group is all about aligning to the laws of nature. It's all about understanding the laws of nature and stepping into alignment with these laws so that we are free from fear and panic regarding our health and and just general well-being. Knowing these laws helps us gain a renewed appreciation for our body's innate wisdom and it just helps us have this unshakable trust in nature and in our own bodies. So in this membership, we meet twice every month, every second Monday, and we talk about German new medicine, Germanic healing knowledge. We talk about case studies and our own correlations and aha moments with it. We also bring on guests like Rick Kohat, and you know we learn all sorts of things pertaining to natural law. And it's just, it's so much fun connecting with like-minded people. It's a beautiful community. And there's monthly recipe downloads that are added. There are monthly meditations that are added. You'll also find loads of resources that pertain to Germanic healing knowledge and GNM. So it's a great place to learn, connect, and keep the conversations going around the natural laws of nature. So without further ado, please enjoy this episode. Oftentimes in life, circumstances require being viewed from alternate perspectives in order to gain new insights and awareness around them. Like stepping back from a painting of little shaded squares until it reveals the clear intended picture. Welcome to Pixelated Perspectives, the podcast intended to offer new perspectives into your health and overall well-being, explained through the lens of German New Medicine. I'm your host, Tanya Berkwin. I'm an artist, family woman, and nature and life enthusiast. So let's get into it. So yeah, this is this is exciting today. I'm uh, really pleased to just be welcoming Rick to the call because uh, Rick has this incredible ability to connect people and bring people together. He's really big on community and just helping build strong ties within communities that really foster you know, growth and harmony and also bringing, bringing solution-based uh, projects forward. Like Rick's always got stuff on the go, that, but it's always for the greater good. It's always for the community. It's never just like a one-person thing. Um, it, it benefits everybody. Rick is, um, as you know from the email, he's uh, the Weston A. Price Foundation chapter leader for Olds, Alberta and, and that area. Um, he's a regenerative fruit producer, an organic farmer, and he owns Health Street Wellness Clinic in Olds. And as well, he has a he's a holistic practitioner there as well at the clinic. So uh, most of you know he is my brother. 
And uh, I thought it would be really fitting to ask Rick to speak about his latest event called Meet the Farmer. There's just so many important aspects that this event offers and I didn't get to go to the, the first one and I'm really hope there's gonna be multiple. They're just really, really popular, but I'm gonna let Rick share about that um, and also like the importance of it. There's, there's a direct correlation to getting to how getting to know your local farmers and gaining connection to your food can really help minimize experiencing possible conflict shocks around the whole topic of food security. So that's just one little benefit of it. I mean, it's a, not a little benefit, it's huge, but yeah, Rick will get into all of that. So I'm gonna pass it over to you, Rick, and we'll make sure to leave time. If anybody has any questions for Rick, then we'll leave time for him to address those. And then I'd also like to be able to address Brittany's question that she posted in the Telegram group uh, regarding asthma. So I, yeah, I just it's nice to have a dialogue between people in front of people though, so that everybody can learn from it. I think it's, it's really important. And that's what this group is all about, right? So that's the agenda for today. And um, I'm so glad everybody's here. And yeah, Rick, I'm gonna pass it over to you. Okay. Well, thank you very much, Tanya, and I'm honored to be uh, to be here today. And uh, hello, everybody, and good morning. Um, yeah, it looks like by the looks of everybody's pictures there, there's sunshine everywhere. Uh, that good energy is just uh, shining in, so that's fantastic. But yeah, uh, you know, I really am passionate about the whole idea of bringing people uh, together. Uh, with food and a, uh, a more authentic understanding about what it means to be uh, human. And I think food is one of those, those things that um, it, it's like a conduit for, uh, for bringing sort of everything together. And unfortunately, uh, over the, you know, the past couple hundred years, uh, most of humanity has become uh, almost completely detached um, from where food actually comes from and even the, me the meaning of food. And, uh, you know, this thing called farming uh, that, you know, used to have a, a different meaning than, than it does now has completely changed. And we still use this term called farming and we still use this term called food, but it has a different meaning now. And so I think we're at a time uh, in history, in our lifetimes, where we have to uh, reevaluate the definition uh, of those words because we sort of use them interchangeably. Um, you know, we say farming and we just automatically think that every farmer produces food. And we say food um, as though everything that has, you know, this food label in front of it is actually good for us. But it's, uh, it's not. And there's a lot of built in potential trauma with, with those things. Because if you think that farming means a certain thing, then all of a sudden you're exposed to um, what you're told is a farm and you're caught off guard, uh, that could be a potential trauma to you because that's not in our nature to think that, you know, somebody, um, you know, that's running a, an 80 foot air drill, putting down 250 pounds of chemical fertilizer and then coming over with uh, glyphosate and all the other chemicals, you know, that's, that's a farm these days, right? 
And if, if you're thinking you're getting food out of that, um, you, you could have a, a, a pretty deep conflict related to, uh, to food or a morsel. So, um, so yeah, I think that it's important that we redefine food and redefine farming. And these farmer meet the farmer events that we've been having um, is really just that. It's, it's helping the consumer understand more about where food comes from, what food actually is, and allow them to have this opportunity to, to have security around their food. Because right now, uh, we, we really don't have security and we're sort of at risk of these conflicts because of, you know, the, the news, for example. Um, you know, you'll, the freedom community is really big on this whole thing to do with food shortages, these upcoming food shortages. But I always tell everybody there will never be a food shortage. That's that's a lie, and it's it's actually mind program and messaging that can traumatize you, and that's uh, that's probably all by design to give you a conflict or fear associated to a human need. And when you know where your food comes from, you you will never be at risk of having those types of conflicts because you know directly where your food's coming from and you have a strong, uh, uh, there, there's an understanding there, there's a calm about it and there's security built into that. Your, your human needs are, are important, like the food, the water, uh, the air, the shelter, the community and love and that cooperation. If we don't have that, then you're at risk of having significant conflicts. So food is just that foundational uh, part. It's that foundational human need. So we all need it, but it's the one that's probably um, distorted the most out of all of those those human needs that we have, and we're most vulnerable because we we're most vulnerable to that one because we consume food every day. And so you know whatever wherever you go for food, whether it's the grocery store or your you know your shopping online or um, whatever food source, you're, you're vulnerable to all these, these conflicts. You know, if you go into the grocery store and you, that's where you get your food from and there's half the grocery store shelves are empty, well, you could potentially have a significant conflict right there because that's all you know. That's, that's what, to you, that's where food comes from. That's a massive, massive risk. So, we don't want to be in that situation. And throughout human, human history, we, we haven't really been in that situation before where it's where food production and processing has been so centralized as it is today. So um, I believe that we have to get back to um, a situation where there are many, many small farms that actually produce real food and sell direct to the consumer. So this would be like a, decentralized food system like it used to be many decades ago and when you used to trade some of your services perhaps for food or exchange money directly for food rather than you know going to a grocery store where it has to go through processing um, travel um, you know the profits get split up into many different corporate entities the tax man gets his money and then finally you get your poisonous food on your plate. 
you know, that's the model that we live in today. But I don't believe we should have that model because there's so many log jams in there and risks um, that could traumatize anybody or give you a conflict. So yeah, we, we started doing these uh, farmer meetings and it's fantastic because we ask regenerative farmers uh, to come in and speak to consumers directly. And then after the, the meeting, you know, they'll spend 10 or 15 minutes telling about their farm. Then they get to uh, shake hands with the consumer and set up contracts with their producer. Some of these producers are actually setting up private membership associations. So they're not subject to all the, the corporate law. So it just protects them as well as their consumer that much more. So there's a, there's a direct contract. Everybody's confident with what they're, they're getting from the farm because they've actually talked to the farmer. This is the type of farm that would happily invite their customers and consumers to the farm where they can see what they're actually doing out there, see how happy the animals are and how beautiful the plants are growing. And uh, that gives you confidence and security in your food. So, yeah, so we started the, the first one here just a couple of weeks ago. Um, we, uh, we had a, a lineup, uh, a wait list, you know, a mile long for the next one. Uh, so we have the next one planned for the 15th. And these are the ones that we're doing this year. We've been doing these every year for, for years. But for some reason, this year, they just kind of exploded. Um, we only sent out one notice to our customer list and it just absolutely blew up so even our second event is already full and uh, that one's going to be i think 70 or 80 people and there's a wait list for that many for the third one as well so we're just going to keep this going and uh, you know there there's a thirst for it right now which is fantastic and i think finally people are sort of waking up to the situation that we're in um, with the industrial food system. And if you want, I can get into a little bit about that industrialized system and, um, you know, what it entails and the risks that it puts forth to us if we start consuming that food. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I guess, first of all, I, I should maybe just tell you a little bit about my history. So um, I've been farming all my life. But I went to university, I got an ag degree. And then after that, you know, I was kind of convinced that agriculture was this, uh, this thing where you had to work for the big chemical companies and fertilizer companies. And so that's what I did. And I, I worked for companies like Monsanto and Bayer Crop Science and Agrium and Cargill uh, for, a, for a decade. Um, I was an agronomist and uh, in their sales and marketing departments. And uh, eventually I sort of woke up and uh, I kind of quit all that stuff. And then I actually convinced uh, my wife, Amy, and uh, my mom and dad that we we're going to switch our farm to organic um, because I was just uh, not comfortable with the way that we were farming and I could see the writing on the wall for the future. So that's what we did, um, and that was, well, uh, I guess eight or nine years ago now. And so now we're completely certified organic. 
and we're in transition now to be regenerative as well. So we're moving towards a completely no-till system on our entire farm. Um, we're using polycropping, which is growing multiple crops at once. So we have like more of a, a natural ecosystem in our fields. And then we use crop rotation with livestock and all of those things uh, together. And basically you just create, you sort of try to mimic nature as much as possible. And what ends up happening is you get higher yields and more nutrient dense uh, food that comes out of it. Our focus now is mainly for livestock feed. And so we've noticed a, a massive problem in, in the world with how livestock are, are actually fed. And uh, I'm not, like a lot of people are unaware that there's only a few livestock uh, feed companies that service all of Canada. And all of these companies use the same genetically modified crops and ingredients to make all of these feeds. So it, you basically cannot find a non-GMO feed mix in Western Canada unless it's certified organic. And there are only a couple of those feed alternatives in Western Canada. On top of that, almost all of the feeds are now medicated. Now, there uh, it used to be um, that a lot of these feed additives that they're adding now uh, were, were actually called medications, but they've changed the classification of a lot of them and they've changed them just to food additives or feed additives. And a lot of farmers and livestock producers don't even actually know this. They just sort of accept that as something that that's just part of the feed mix and they buy it and then they feed it to their animals. Uh, one ingredient is called rumensin, um, which used to be uh, classified as an antibiotic. And it's, it's a feed additive now. That's, that's what it's classified as, is a feed additive. But it's put in almost all of the, uh, the feed mixes that you'll find, other than equine, which is the horse mixes, the horse feeds, because it'll actually kill a horse real quick. So um, as you know, Shelly, you, you have to make sure that there's no remence in, in any of your horse feed mixes because it'll kill them. So curious, right? That, uh, you know, everything you feed to chickens and hogs and beef and goats will have remensin in them. Uh, but the one that you feed to horses, if you have to keep that separate. So just imagine that on a farm, you know, having something, a feed that's actually deadly to your horses, but it's supposed to be good for the rest of your animals. It doesn't really make much sense, but that's the kind of thing that's going on behind the scenes. And people don't realize that this, what we feed our livestock is actually poisonous. You know, so, yep, go ahead, Tanya. Sorry to interrupt, but um, yeah, this is super interesting. And a few of the, like Brittany and Melanie are, are asking a couple of questions about, do you know which feeds are organic? Like which feeds are safe for the, the livestock and the chickens specifically? Um, well, there, there essentially isn't any uh, organic, uh, well, I guess there is. There's, there's one up at, uh, um, like if you're looking for sort of an industrial producer, 
there is one up at Wetaskiwin. Um, but other than that, there's basically ourselves. Uh, we do certified organic feed with non-GMO ingredients. And then there's one other guy up by uh, Camrose, uh, Dakota Cohen. But essentially, that's it. Um, you know, there's there's not many options out there. That's how centralized that whole industry has become. Mm -hmm. And that's the feed part of our livestock. But it's no different than every other part of it, too. The grains are the same way. The food system is the same way. Uh, but it's important because it's uh, that's all of us like eating animals because it's like the best uh, source of nutrients. But if we're all eating animals that are actually fed these antibiotics, these genetically modified foods, uh, you know, and then those animals are then implanted with hormones, uh, given all of the vaccinations throughout their lifetime, then, you know, we're missing the bigger picture. So especially when we realize that this whole group of, of farmers that are just coming out of the woodwork now, these new regenerative farmers, uh, they, they use zero inputs. They, they don't use genetically modified crops. They don't use genetically modified ingredients or, or feeds. And uh, they don't use the injections. They don't use the implants. And this is all happening right now. And they're, uh, they're producing food at a much higher rate than the industrialized farmer. And they're actually producing real food. Yeah. I, I but yeah, to answer that question. The importance of really learning to and getting to know the, the local farmers and the people who are regenerative and organic farming. And you can see how valuable it is at that point. Yeah. So we see a situation right now happening where um, there's uh, a lot of these intensive livestock operations or uh, some of them, some people call them uh, coughs, which is confinement uh, or CAFOs, they're called. Yeah, sorry, CAFOs, which is confinement animal uh, feeding operation. Um, that's kind of the acronym, the phrase that a lot of people are using for these places, but uh, CAFOs. And they're, uh, yeah, they're, they're the system that is using that industrialized feed. Um, the chemicals, the implants, and all of that kind of stuff, essentially because they they have to, right? They're they're in a system that basically requires them uh, to do that. Some of these operations are actually government controlled. Um, some people aren't aware that poultry operations and dairy operations are actually supply management organizations. So they're actually controlled by. Uh, well, I call it the I call it the food mafia uh, in Canada, and essentially they they have a quota, and they're basically producing animal products for the government, and they're regulated completely by the government, which means they have to feed based on government guidelines. They have to use vaccines based on government guidelines. Is this starting to sound familiar? You know, all of these things are are happening out there, so. Uh, it's been happening in the animal side of things for a very long time. And recently, um, probably dating back to about 2017, uh, they've been using mRNA technology in vaccines in animals. 
So when you start realizing that this is going on behind the scenes, you know, those types of foods, if, if you're aware of what's going on, those foods aren't even an option anymore, right? So now it becomes even more important to, to know darn well where your food is coming from and how it was produced, what seed it's coming from, what the animals are fed, and all of that sort of stuff. So this is why people are all of a sudden so interested in meeting their local farmer and learning about agriculture and learning about where their food comes from and what food actually is. So um, that's why I think that these farmer meet the farmer meetings that we're doing is just sort of exploding because we're finally at that tipping point where people are realizing that it, it is important to know where your food comes from. And that security is, uh, is meaningful. And if you know German New Medicine, of course, we know that that is essential because if you have a conflict to do with the morsel, uh, what you can acquire for food, you're, uh, you're gonna have, you could potentially have significant symptoms as you adapt through that. But yeah, if you, if you need feed, if you know a farmer that needs feed, there, there aren't many options for certified organic feed around, but I'd be happy to connect anybody to, um, to a source in their area, depending on where you're at. Wonderful. Rick Brittany's asking, do you ship to BC? Would you ship feed to BC? I'm not sure which oh. area you're in, Brittany, but. Mm -hmm. Yeah, BC is, uh, I've got uh, a few people asking in BC right now. Um, there, there aren't very many options in BC either, um, unless farmers are actually doing it on their own, mm -hmm. but in BC, there's not as much grain land, right? So to try to find the, the mixture of grains that you need for that high quality feed, um, sometimes you have to go out of province, but, but yeah, we, we would definitely be open to that. Um, you know, there's lots of things happening right now in, in the feed world. And it's, I think in the near future, you'll see that there will be better opportunities for this regenerative food um, option out there. We have some interesting questions coming in. So um, I, you guys, if you wanna unmute yourself, it might be a good time to ask Rick some questions before he continues. Let's see, Shelly said, is that what, oh, go ahead, Shelly. Yeah, so just, um... I have a couple questions. First, the egg situation. I'm I'm assuming that's food in the chickens. Everybody's yeah. making eggs, yeah. And then my second question: There's the uh, Wildor Ranch out of um, Knighton Junction area. I'm wondering if you know anything because they do um, have chicken and and like because we can get our beef from you, but chicken and pork from those guys. I'm wondering if you know anything about them. I just googled them. It said that. They do regeneration farming, so. Yep. So, yeah, that's a good question. And I'm not familiar with them. Well, I know where they're at and everything, but I, I don't, uh, we haven't talked to them. But uh, that's where we have to get to know them, right? So I would encourage mm -hmm. you to, like, drive into their yard or give them a call and sort of interview them. And I wouldn't even know what to ask them, though. <laughs> okay. So the, the questions would be, um, you know, do you use genetically modified ingredients in your livestock or your, your poultry feed? Is there uh, rumensin 
in the feed. Do you okay. use antibiotics um, on your poultry or medicated feed? So there are lots of things like that. Um, a lot of people don't realize that in like 90% of the poultry mixes, there's genetically modified canola meal and genetically modified uh, soybean meal. And guess what? Soybean basically isn't even grown in Alberta, pretty much not even in Western Canada. There's a little bit in Southern Saskatchewan, but it's all genetically modified and it's basically all um, sprayed with glyphosate. So it's a Monsanto uh, owned technology. Um, most, most of the genetically modified seeds are owned by a corporation and they're owned by a corporation so that they can also benefit from all the, the chemicals uh, that they sell to put on their, their proprietary technology in the seed. So it's just big business, but if you know about genetically modified organisms and foods, there's, there's a huge problem with consuming this stuff. It's, uh, it is not from nature, right? So it has, it has a missing link uh, to the harmony that exists in nature. So it's one of those things that if you, if you want harmony in life and you want that natural ability to adapt, we have to eat things of nature. And anything that's genetically modified does not have the genes of nature. It's been modified, so there's a there's potentially a missing link there, and it's uh, that's where you get into a whole bunch of things. Like, does your body actually adapt properly when you're consuming a whole bunch of foods that are genetically modified? And a lot of the studies that um, that you take a look at shows very clearly that that is not the case. Your body indeed uh, behaves oddly and um, perhaps not even in line with uh, the laws of nature, which is really concerning. So, so I would encourage people to eat and consume things that are of nature and to feed their animals things that are also of nature. So um, just I'll just say one more thing before I get your next question there, Shelley. So I'll just give you an example of something that uh, nature offers us and how industrial agriculture is trying to mimic uh, nature and fool the consumer. So in, in egg production, so in these confinement animal feeding operations where they do egg production, these are also a supply management um, business, right? So if you have any more than 300 hens uh, laying hens in Canada, you are bound by these, these government rules. And you have to buy quota from them, from the or the government uh, animal mafia, and then you have to basically abide by all their rules, including the feed and all that kind of stuff. And they have very clever ways of trying to fool the consumer. And as you know, a chicken that is raised outside eating insects and grass and legumes and all these beautiful things from nature produces an egg that has a dark sort of orange yolk. Right now, that dark orange yolk is a sign of nutrient density. So, the darker it is, the more nutrient dense it is. And essentially, what you have in that egg is a high amount of, amount of fat soluble vitamins. So, that's vitamin A, vitamin D, 
and small amounts of vitamin K. And in nature, animals know this, right? They they just uh, they just um, intuitively know this. But we can be fooled uh, by just looking at a yolk and saying, "Well, that must be healthy because it's nice and dark." So the this industrialized um, system has figured out a way to fool the consumer by adding a dye, a food dye, to the food, to, to the chicken's feed. So this is another additive that is put in poultry operations to change the color of the yolk of an egg. So that egg has far less nutrients in it that the past, than the pastured chicken egg does, but it's the same color. So isn't that a little sleight of hand? So that's some of the tricks that are used in, in that industry. So the, those eggs probably contain uh, less than 25% of the amount of vitamin D that uh, an egg has from a chicken raised outside in the summertime. And less than half of the amount of vitamin A, which is the most difficult nutrient in nature to acquire from food. So then you go into the grocery store and that dozen eggs that has that fancy, um, you know, omega-3 label on it, you know, omega-3 eggs is selling for $8.50 a dozen. Meanwhile, the farmer that has all of his chickens outside that feeds them non-organic or non-GMO, uh, non-medicated feed is struggling to to get you know six or eight bucks, six or seven dollars a dozen, when really the nutrient density is double or triple from that stuff from the barn. His eggs should be worth sixteen dollars a dozen. So there's uh, there's a lot going on in there. Plus that egg that comes from the barn, you know, it's it's also got it comes from a hen that has had antibiotics, uh, potentially had hormones, that gets fed medicated medicated feed, genetically modified feed, the the whole gamut. So that's just one of the reasons, right? You, you're putting yourself at risk of consuming food that. Uh, to me, doesn't qualify as food to begin with. So we really have to understand where it's coming from, and I and people are finally getting it. Go ahead, Brittany. Hi, um, thank you so much, Rick. This is all right up my alley. I'm loving it. Um, I'm in BC. Do you know of anywhere I could get organic feed? We have chickens, and I I had a feeling that our feed probably wasn't the best of feed, but it's like we kind of jumped into getting chickens before I could find anything else. Um, so do you guys either ship out here or do you know anywhere in the area I can get organic feed? Well, uh, which part of BC are you from? We're in the interior. We're close to Kamloops. Okay. Well, what I'd probably do to start out with is uh, if you know a few uh, organic grain producers. Uh, I don't know anybody organic grain producers out here. Okay, so like that would be probably the the place that I would start. We would we can totally ship out there. Um, you know, the best thing to do is just get a few, um, you know, small farmers together, and then just get a 
get a flat deck trailer or something like that and get a few mini bulk bags. So then you have enough for a few months. And then we would certainly do that. But ultimately, the best way to get your food is from people in your area. It only makes sense from a security standpoint. Totally. Um, you know, you, you want to be able to obtain your food, uh, your livestock food, as well as your food from your local area. That's yeah. that's ultimate security. So, um, yeah, so that's kind of what I would suggest to do is eventually get in contact with some of your local producers. And uh, until then, we'd be happy to help you out for sure. But, yeah, I'll yeah. do some research for sure. So that's yeah. I'll just do a Google research or whatever, DuckDuckGo, finding a, a grain, organic grain producer. Yeah, like one of the things that we have going out this way is we have a website called Food Genie. Okay. Uh, foodgenie.ca. And basically farmers that, um, that don't use genetically modified organisms, genetically modified seeds, uh, chemical inputs, fertilizers, all that kind of stuff, and they use regenerative practices, they, they're allowed to post um, what they have for sale on that uh, website. Brilliant. That is maybe something that uh, you can take a look at that and then maybe somebody can start up a model like that out in BC. Um, right. But it's, uh, yeah, it works good. But you have to have somebody sort of vetting these farms, um, making sure that they're educated and they understand. Because it's, it's tough. Like farmers, most farmers don't even uh, realize that a lot of the stuff that they're actually feeding or growing is not necessarily beneficial for the consumer at the end of the day. Absolutely. Just like doctors don't know, understand yep. that they're poisoning their patients as well. So it yep. all ties together. Um, one yep. other question I had for you. I understand you're the chapter leader for the Weston A. Price in your area. Do you yep. know who would who would be in our area? Do you have a list of people, perhaps? Uh, yep, I sure do. So I can I can send that to you. Okay. Uh, also, you. if you go on to the westonaprice.org website, yeah, um, you can find the chapter leader in your area from there too. Okay, I'll do that then. Yep, but if not, like I can totally send you all that information or the links for it. That's all good. Okay, yeah. thanks, Rick. Yeah, you bet. Yeah. We can maybe send that in a follow-up email, Rick, that information. And um, yep. there was also, Melanie asked, what was that ingredient you were saying? It started with the R, rem? Remensin. Remensin. Yeah, so remensin. Okay. Yep. Yeah, if you, when you send that email out, maybe you can just itemize all those questions that we need to ask. That would yep. be fabulous, yeah. Yeah, I'll um, write that down too. Also with that, Food Genie, I think that kind of segues into my question. I have a really hard time with wheat that just started in the last probably 10 years. So I really don't like giving it up, but is there, and I know it's the GMO. So where do you, where is a good place to get breads and and those products? Is that Food Genie or is that is that something else? Yeah, well, for, for breads, like uh, ideally, what you do is you buy the buy the wheat, um, mill your your own flour, and then uh, you make sourdough, right, mom? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, ideally that's that's what we do because that's our closest connection uh, to complete food security. Because you you'll never 
um, have a conflict related to bread because you know the whole process and you have complete confidence and understanding there. So the closer we are, the better. But I would suggest that maybe you make a deal with Tanya and she makes your uh, your sourdough for you. Um, <laughs> I could totally do that. Give you right now. Uh, like yeah. cat sitting or something? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that go. is a good trade. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. But yeah, there's uh, at the end of the day, we do we just have to know where our food comes from. We sort of get have to get back to where we used to be. Um, you know, things like dairy, uh, we have to start obtaining uh, raw dairy, raw milk, raw cheese, all of those things, because you can make so many different things from raw milk. And of course, you know the control mechanisms in the food system. That's why dairy is is so regulated. It is one of the the most powerful foods available um, abundantly on the planet. But in Canada, it's regulated so heavily that they've actually made it illegal. So I always tell people, in like in Canada, healthy food is illegal. So in order to obtain healthy food, you have to go underground and you have to get food illegally, which is why a lot of these farmers are setting up these things called private membership associations. And that, uh, that protects them from this, uh, this corporate law system that you know basically controls everything. So, and it allows you access to real food. So, you know, the, the farmers that are basically um, growing food in the industrial system, they've contracted with the government to produce um, uh, commodities, not not food. I wouldn't uh, define it as food. They've contracted with the government to produce commodities that are later processed into food-like substances. Right? If we have a, a farmer who wants to grow real food, in like real food, they have to do it illegally. Uh, so they have to basically protect themselves, or the corporate legal system can take them out eventually. So that they're subject to all those laws, but if they're a private membership association, then th those do not apply. Everyone is held personally liable. So it's much different than that. So that sort of protects them. That's where I see agriculture moving and how we can create a parallel food system with complete security and confidence in our food uh, in all communities. And it's easy to replicate. Mm -hmm. Buy yourself a cow and and have shares with your neighbors, and you milk the cow, and the neighbors supply the food. Yeah, that's one way of doing it. You betcha. But it'll it'll be bigger scale than that in a lot of cases. Yeah. Like we we already see that a little bit. Like there's um, there's a lot of uh, you know these so-called illegal dairies. Uh, all over the place in our community, you know, as the chapter leader, I, I see it everywhere. It's it's absolutely beautiful. But they have contracts. They have these things called herd share programs, and they they have you know um, a, a contract that they their consumers or their herd share members have to sign, and it makes them liable. So everybody has has to have a level of trust, and to me, that's what a community really is. 
it's it's um, a cooperation of trust. And so food needs that. And it doesn't have that today. How many people that know what's going on trust the food system? If you don't trust the food system, you are you are vulnerable to psychological conflict. So that's where it ties into the laws of nature. So that's because food is a human need. It's essential. And if we can reduce the amount of potential contract or uh, conflicts to do with our food, then we will reduce um, the, the hard times we have um, in our life significantly. That's one of the reasons why I got as healthy as I did is that we don't eat very much from the store. Pretty much yep. what we have is homegrown or wild or whatever. That's it's perfect. It's beautiful. And that's that's kind of how we do things too. Like we uh we don't go to the grocery store. I mean it's uh other than maybe a couple rolls of toilet paper, I don't think I've been to the grocery store in like years. So it's not something that we do. You can obtain all of your food from your local producers. And when you do that, you just have a sense of security like like nothing. Like nothing even compares. You know, you get better at growing your own food. You have more confidence in it. You, if you don't grow it and produce it, then you know who does. And you can obtain it directly from them, not through a middleman. The middleman system is, is what really takes your security away. And that's the model that, we, that most people live in today. They go to this, this uh, convenience store called a grocery store and they buy poisonous food. And that's their model. As soon as you take any of that away, then you can traumatize that person. Is Amy still thinking about doing dog food? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah that's one of the things that we're, we're looking at doing right now is uh, like an on-farm butcher shop. Yeah. Good. Which once you're set up as a pr uh, private membership association, then all of those things become possible and not illegal. Yeah. So I do have a slide that I, I think is, is pretty, pretty neat. It's sort of, uh, it shows you the contrast between the ways that we used to do things in agriculture and uh, in food compared to the modern way of doing it. And it's nice to kind of go through this list because it, it'll, uh, it, it just makes you much more aware of all of the different ways the system has convinced us to well basically pulled the wool over our eyes and if you can just kind of go through those over the next six months or a year and try to change them and obtain those foods the natural way then you can in six months you'll change everything so if you if you don't mind i will uh i'll share my screen um, yes please do this has been great Rick. thanks okay can everybody see that so traditionally, uh, in the past, our ancestors have basically produced, processed, and consumed food because of the nutrient density and to obtain the most nutrient density from their food so that they, they, were, um, they were nourished. And as you know, with uh, German healing knowledge, that's one of the 
that, that's one of the exceptions for the rules. If you're not nourished, if you have uh, nutrient deficiencies in some way, or if you're poisoned, then other things can happen uh, when it comes to symptoms and um, that confuses the whole system. So we have to, at minimum, make sure that we're maximizing our nutrition and obtaining all the, uh, the nutrients that we need to adapt and heal properly. So you'll notice that on the left there, you've got traditional diets, and on the right, you've got the modern diets. So you'll see the first thing there, foods were from fertile soil. And today, our, our soils have been sort of uh, over farmed, and they've been farmed in a way that just grows like monocrops, and basically it mines the, the largest nutrients from the soil very quickly. And so a lot of our soils are largely depleted in our primary nutrients, and that leads to lower yields and lower nutrient density. So that those foods, those crops that are produced don't have the same nutrient density, whereas in, in the past, it was all about that. It was all about permaculture and working together to try to uh, improve the ecosystem so that the food was uh, healthy for your children. The next one is uh, foods weren't produced using uh, pesticides. There weren't anything, uh, any such thing as pesticides. And today, these products that we call foods are produced using pesticides, and that is almost all food in the planet. It's it's like 90 plus percent in developed countries is produced using pesticides. You know, we used to choose organ meats over muscle meats because of the nutrient density in organ meats. And today, the muscle meats are, are generally consumed or desired over the organ meats. And that's that's completely backwards. We used to do dry aging and salt preservation of meats. And today, in order to preserve those meats, they use poisonings like nitrates, sulfites. Um, they don't use dry aging. They don't use salt preservation. They don't use fermentation either anymore. Those things are all illegal. So in the name of health, they've made these natural traditional methods of preservation illegal so that they can put the poisons in and so that they have longer shelf life and they can ship that food all over the world and still get their profits out of it. Um, animal fats uh, were, were very, very important in, in the human diet um, because they contain most of the nutrients in an animal outside of the organ meats. So like the fat soluble nutrients that I was talking about in like egg yolks before. So like the vitamin A, vitamin D and vitamin K, they're contained in the fats. So they're very, very important. But of course, you know, the modern agriculture and the, the government health program demonizes those fats. And instead they replace them with these highly processed industrial vegetable oils and create fear of, of animal fats. They've demonized something called cholesterol, uh, which is actually a very important nutrient in the human body, probably one of the most important, uh, but they've sort of made it bad to scare people away from those foods that contain cholesterol. 
which happened to be the most important. We used to have animals on pasture, and now the majority of the animals are actually um, raised in confinement. Dairy products were raw and or fermented in every culture on the planet. And now dairy products are pasteurized, meaning that they basically heat it up to a temperature that destroys all the beneficial microbes and energy and hormones that are in that, the natural hormones that are in that milk. So that's where the nutrient density comes from and that's all destroyed with pasteurization. Um, grains and legumes were soaked, fermented and sprouted because grains and legumes are the most difficult food for the human digestive system to digest and break down. And today, um, grains are typically just refined or extruded. So then they fortify them with synthetic uh, nutrients at the end of, of all the processing. And then they have a long shelf life and they can um, sell that for, for big bucks. So grains need to be either soaked, fermented, or sprouted. That's why we all need to learn how to do sourdough or learn who makes sourdough near them. Uh, bone broths were used as the foundation um, ingredient in almost all diets. Today, instead of that nice, flavorful, nutrient-dense bone broth, they use things like OXO cubes or the Nor um, sauce, basically for that same type of flavoring. And it's basically just artificial flavoring and MSG. And if anything, if anybody knows anything about MSG and artificial flavoring, you know that you want to avoid that like the plague. Um, unrefined sweeteners, so honey and maple syrup, these are these unrefined sweeteners that have been used for um, thousands of years. Today, we're encouraged to use these refined sweeteners that are put in all of the, all of the so-called foods. Lacto-fermented vegetables, lacto-fermented uh, beverages, these were all consumed to increase the biodiversity of our gut, uh, offering us probiotics, B vitamins, all of these wonderful things. Today, in order to mimic that, they use, or to fool us, they, uh, they use refined sweeteners, uh, and, well, canned vegetables, modern soft drinks, um, instead of these, these bacterial-rich uh, foods. Unrefined salt that has a complex of minerals was used before. Today, it's uh, refined salt that lacks all those beneficial trace minerals in them. Um, natural vitamins were found from foods um, back in the day, and today we're encouraged to have all of these synthetic vitamins, um, either in bottles and taken in pills or added to our foods in terms of using the word fortification. We use traditional cooking methods in the past. Today, people use the microwave and irradiate their, their food, taking most of that value and the energy out of that food. We used to use traditional heritage seeds. Um, these are all these open pollinated varieties that existed for thousands of years. And to where today we're encouraged to purchase hybrid seeds and genetically modified seeds. So, you know, that list on the right hand side are the things that we have to try to avoid, but those are all the things that are, that are 
present in our society today, right? So we have to move back to that traditional way of doing it. And it's actually not that hard um, if you realize that you can obtain all of those things directly from your farmer. Now, a lot of farmers, if they haven't made this switch to the private, like a private membership association, they might be scared of doing some of those things. But if they get to know like the whole Weston A. Price chapter um, and this whole movement of this, this illegal food movement, they'll, they'll realize that they're not alone and they're part of a huge community of decentralized uh, food. So hopefully that kind of uh, puts a little bit more perspective on that stuff. I'm just going to unshare here. Yeah, that is huge. That's so eye-opening. And it's, you're right, like everything on that right-hand column is just, it's part of the whole um, propagandizing of our, of our culture and society. So we see, mm -hmm. we see this all over the place. Um, feel free to ask questions. Uh, Melanie, you were asking about water in the chat. Yeah, just curious what uh, everyone's doing for water, I guess, and what's the best. I'm sure, Rick, you have an opinion on that too. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, water is uh, is a big one too, for sure. It's, you know, we're, if we're living in urban areas, then you're kind of vulnerable to whatever they do to the water right it's one of those human needs like i talked about at the beginning so you got your food your water your air your shelter and then your community so you got to make sure you're getting water that you're uh you have confidence in and if you suspect your water of that you're consuming of not being good for you then that is a conflict so we want to make sure that your your water is the water you want to be drinking and that you're you have complete confidence in so uh at minimum i would say get a carbon filter for water in an urban area um but at best i would say get water from a spring uh that you know is uh is coming right out of the ground uh in the middle would be wells um Perhaps you could, you know, treat your own water if it needs to be filtered or go through a carbon filter or remineralize it or something like that. But um, there are so many ways that uh, that you can improve water and structure your water, energize and just take your water to the next level. Um, but one of the best ways is just trying to get out of that commercial water, those big uh, water systems for um, uh, for urban areas i mean there are specific things that i could send to you like how to structure water and things like that but people just have to realize that they have to they can't rely on these huge systems they have to decentralize when it comes to human needs so food and water shelter so when it comes to shelter that's more about um realizing that you have to have other uh, energy supplies you know um, if the grid goes down sort of thing um, uh, there's an electricity issue then you have to know uh, how to do how to supply power to your house or just become less reliant on a lot of those sort of luxuries i like luxuries so you know it, it's nice to try to uh, just you know set it up so that it suits your lifestyle 
have a generator, look into uh, the Tesla turbines, you know, have a little bit of solar power if you want to. I don't really like that idea because of uh, really the destruction uh, that creating those panels creates in our environment. But um, turbines and, you know, the energy that is possible just from orgone generation and all sorts of cool stuff, it, it's all out there. We just have to um, make it practical. Yeah, that's that was a good question. Thanks, Melanie. Brittany, um, their their podcast, Sacred Resistance, has a they have a few podcast episodes with Cultivate Elevate Matt on there that teaches about uh, structure and water and all that. So that's we could also put that link in this follow up email too. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, yeah. There are people like that that just you know they have all the resources and. This sort of collaboration is happening right now at like an epic scale. So the the information, the resources, it, it's all there for us now. And if we're if we're looking for it, and that's what gives us all a sense of of calm and reduces the potential conflicts that we that we could have right now. So you know, uh, my sort of sort of uh, angle on the whole thing is just the food thing though. We're so detached uh, from the idea of what food actually is and what farming actually is that it makes us vulnerable to conflicts related to a morsel, okay, to food. So get connected to what that truly is. Understand that food is not a genetically modified organism. It's part of nature. And when you, when you talk to a farmer that is truly growing food, you can literally see it in his energy. It's, it's a trust. It's, uh, you can see it in his eyes and in his heart. And that's what we get out of these uh, farmer meet the farmer meetings. When you're speaking directly to a farmer and you can, you can like hear it in their voice, you know, how they feel about what they're actually doing. That's, that's what changes everything. And that's what we're looking for. That's the harmony that we, that we have to have, okay? So um, yeah, I, I did, in BC, if you're looking for organic grains, um, there's actually, we got this one here. I don't know if you can see it here. Um, Fieldstone Organics. They're from Armstrong. Um, I bought some seed from them before. But they, you can get organic grains from them. Uh, I've sold them some of our grains, uh, and they repackage it, and then clean it and everything, and sell it like that. But they are a pretty good source. I don't know if they do animal feeds there. I kind of don't think they do. But if you want to get just good quality organic grains, they might even sell in bulk. But it's, uh, yeah. I, I mean, I'd be happy to to provide you with some in the short term anyway. Amazing. Any other questions you guys for Rick? One of the questions that I quite often get um, is regarding um, pesticides and the use of pesticides out there, um, like Monsanto's product, you know, Roundup or glyphosate. Um, and I'll just tell you a little bit about that stuff, okay? so. When I used to work with Monsanto, 
that was like over, well, it was almost 20 years ago now. But at that time, they had just started using glyphosate in, um, in different time periods during a growing season. So they started using it initially just to kill all the crop, all, like all the plants, right? So that you could make sure that it killed all your weeds and literally everything so that you didn't have that competition to deal with the next year. And then you could go into this black soil, which is really, really uh, anybody that knows anything about regenerative agriculture, that's like the worst thing because there's no growing roots in, in that soil at that time. But a farmer would typically perceive that as something that's nice and clean and, and healthy because everything is, is killed, right? Everything that they were told by the chemical company that was bad is now dead, so they're happy. So that's how Roundup started uh, being used. And then they realized that, well, you could actually, at the beginning of a growing season, you could spray it before you seed your crop as a pre-seed burnoff. So it was then used uh, and sold a lot. So farmers would spray it, kill everything down, and then seed into that soil right after. And then they would have this nice clean crop, right? Then a few years after that, they noticed that there was a big opportunity in desiccation, which means you can dry down the crop near harvest time so that it makes it really easy to go in with your combine and there's no like, you know, a lot of low areas in the field would typically be a little bit greener and wouldn't mature at the same time, right? And if you're an organic farmer, you have to wait for that. You have to wait for nature to do that, that adaptation in the fall. Or you have to swath it and put it in windrows and wait for it to dry. Well, Monsanto came along and said, well, what, what you can actually do is just spray all of your crop and it will kill it all and dry it all down. And that started a whole movement of this desiccation using Roundup. And as you know, Roundup or glyphosate is an antibiotic. So not only does it kill uh, the plant, but it also kills soil microbes and it, it kills human digestive uh, microbes as well. And as you know, with, with German New Medicine, we need those microbes during the healing phase. So if we're destroying those with every cracker and every bread loaf that we eat, then that is not a good thing for your ability to adapt. So after that period of time where, um, um, where they started using it as a desiccant, then they started adding other chemicals to it. So they noticed if they add different groups of other chemistries in, then they could actually do a better job of killing certain weeds and certain plants. So that was sort of this evolution of it, which gave them more sales, more opportunity. Then after that, they started developing these genetically modified seeds like canola, corn, and soybeans. And then they, they had like thousands of varieties of these new genetically modified seeds that were able to tolerate Roundup and it wouldn't kill those seeds, those plants at all. So they could spray the soybeans or canola or corn and it would be left alone, but it would literally kill everything else. And that's because of the genetic modification. So a lot of people don't know how this whole thing works. So then it allowed them to sell Roundup 
uh, to a farmer and that farmer might spray it three or four times during the season now instead of just once or twice. So that if you look at the growth, the, the exponential growth in the sales of Roundup, like in the last 20 years, it's absolutely crazy. So it becomes really, really important today to get foods that are not genetically modified because all of them actually, not just genetically modified foods, all of the wheat, all of the barley, all of the oats, if it's not certified organic, it is getting, you can basically guarantee that 95 plus percent of it is getting a pre-harvest roundup at minimum. So it's not like it used to be 20 years ago when, you know, even though there was glyphosate, it wasn't used right prior to harvest. So it's so much more important today because if it's not certified organic at minimum, or at least that you know the farmer and you know that he's not spraying his crops right before harvest, then you can bet that it is that does have glyphosate on it. So we're at a situation now where you can't afford not to ask the questions. You can't afford not to know this information now. I hope that makes sense, but it's uh, it's a really big deal. the The amount of chemical that is sprayed on crops today would it, it is it's exponentially higher than what it was twenty years ago. Yeah, in in conventional agriculture, which is where most of the food that goes into the grocery store comes from. So at least with certified organic, although it's not I you know it's not the ideal model but they do not allow pesticides or genetically modified organisms, right? So you can avoid at least some of those big um, health risks related to that stuff. Mm -hmm. So hopefully that puts a little more perspective in there. Absolutely. So Rick, just to leave everybody with something actionable that they can feel good about doing is, would you suggest people just reaching out and just meeting farmers or, or calling them up and, and just getting to know them or because there's probably not a lot of these events everywhere, right? It's just, I don't know. What would you suggest people do? Yeah, you bet. Well, there's lots of ways to get to know uh, local food producers. Um, most of these regenerative farmers are are a part of this, this movement, this sort of freedom uh, awareness movement that we're all in right now, right? So they tend to be relatively new into farming because a lot of the, the farmers that have been in, in it for a long time are very conditioned into those, uh, those sort of modern ways of agriculture, right? So you're looking at these newer age farmers. A lot of them tend to be younger. Um, you'll find a lot of them at local farmers markets. So I would, I would definitely go to local farmers markets and start to uh, connect there. There's a lot of new businesses popping up that are that kind of act as uh, a middleman for farmers. So I know in, in our area, we have a lot of these little farm stores that sell uh, local producers' products on consignment. And it's kind of neat because you can go in there and you can see, you know, there's 20 different farmers represented in that store, which is great because then the farmer doesn't have to spend his day trying to sell products. He can do what he's good at, producing really nutrient-dense food. 
So those are all good places to go to. Um, I would encourage everybody to set up local farmer, like meet the farmer meetings um, in your area. You know, somebody has to head man that sort of stuff in every region. It helps the community out so, so much. And we're at that tipping point right now. So we're, it's sort of primed. Everybody's primed. They're looking for a solution to the food problem. And the solution is super, super easy. It's just connect to the farmer um, directly, purchase direct from the farmer and get decentralized. Purchase food that isn't part of this industrial system. And you're just by the nature of that, you're supporting real food. And by doing that, you're reducing your potential conflicts related to this human need. Yes, and yeah. grow your own food. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's that's the ultimate way to connect with your food is is truly to start producing some of your own food. You know, raise some animals, um, get some seeds in the ground. Start um, just start by getting some heritage seeds right now, and then put them in the ground in the spring and see what happens. There's some beautiful things happen. Yeah, there's so, so much so much value in this hour. It's so great. I hope everybody enjoyed this call. There's so much goodness. We will send out a follow-up email with some links. And uh, yeah, thanks everybody for your time. And and thank you, Rick, so much for your time. And yes, thanks everybody. I, I yeah, appreciate the opportunity to sit down and talk and share a few things from my perspective. And uh, I really, uh, I don't have any worries whatsoever that uh, that the food system Will, will be absolutely abundant and, and flourish and will offer everybody the security that we need. It, it's already here. And from my perspective, it's really easy. I mean, I meet with people all the time on this. The, the regenerative ag movement um, is just absolutely exploding right now. It's vibrating with potential. It's just a matter of us harnessing that and then supporting it. Um, as a consumer, we must support that system. At the end of the day, the system that you put your dollars in is the system that you're voting for. That's the system where your energy goes. Your money is your energy. Your purchasing power is your energy. It's your intent. So if you put your money into an industrial food, that is what's going on. That's what's happening um, with that money. If you put it into a local regenerative uh, product that supports that type of food production, that's where it's going. And that's what we're gonna have in the future. Uh, it's already there. I, I don't see any uh, way backwards unless, I mean, there, there's gonna, that's the parallel system. There's always a contrast, right? So there will be both systems, but there is abundance for everybody that wants it. And that's, that's very evident. Thank you so much for taking the time to tune into this episode. If you found some value in it, please consider subscribing and leave an honest review in iTunes. I'd love to help get this information out to more people and go ahead and share it with a friend. You can reach and connect with me at tanyaverquin.ca or on the socials at tanyaverquin.